Remember that episode of The Simpsons where he meets his brother Hank Scorpio? Remember that one? Like a like and Scorp- Hank Scorpio owns Herb like a- Simpson. Hank Scorpio is the oh, guy trying to ruin the world. The other guy, yeah, trying to ruin the world. Anyway, and he has him design the car. And then, yeah, and no, then that's Herb. That's Herb. Okay, you're mixing up two episodes. It's the same guy. You're killing but- me right now. So there's that scene where. He's on the it's phone like with abstract Simpsons <laughs> trip. No, no, no. It, li- it, it, it links back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Remember this fever dream Simpsons episode I'm mashing together. So one is called "You Only Move Twice." When you get home, there'll be another the story on your house. <laughs> yeah. So when- he, there's a scene where the guys who he's working with to design the car have are on the phone with Hank Simpson or whatever. Her. Herb Simpson, and he's like, I want you to call me back and say the exact opposite of everything you just said. <laughs> and he puts it on speaker. On speaker. Phone to his kid. This is what I think of when we're talking about the MX-30. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings from my Fortress of Solitude. How is that fortress coming along, man? It's uh, lonely. Impenetrable? I, I mean, to date, yes. Excellent. Um, I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. We're also very good friends. And we love to do this podcast every week and talk about cool cars. Right, Ben? And sometimes uncool cars, which can be just as fun. I think that's today's episode. But yeah, I think this is, this is going to be the one. <laughs> we'll see. Hold on. Let's just get through this uh, intro. Ben, where can people find your work? Ooh, they can find my work at Motor Trend, at Inside Hook, and at Driving Line. What was with the oof before that? You were caught off guard by having to plug your publication? I'm not used to it. Honestly, oof. every week a new surprise. Uh, oof! And you can find my work at autotrader.ca and driving.ca and Nouveau Magazine. Ben, we've got some cars to talk about. I think we've got electric vehicles to talk about this week. Ones that I think people um, want to hear more about or haven't seen of or are curious as to why they exist in the first place. I'll start because I have that latter category, that late, that last one there. Listen, if you're going to buy an electric vehicle, a brand new one, do not buy this one unless you have exhausted every other option that you have. It is the Mazda MX-30. Don't, and I don't, mean I, that, I, and I don't mean that in a very cruel way. I'm just saying that there are better vehicles out there. And unless you fit the particular categories that Mazda was looking for, um, in terms of a buyer, then this car works for you. You maybe okay? even shouldn't buy it unless you live somewhere that gas has been outlawed and yeah. you can't buy a gas-powered vehicle and your only option is this one Mazda car. Let's say you're kidnapped by Mazda executives. So Mazda, Mazda, EV Mazdatopia, you're saying? Yeah, you're locked in a cube. It's a featureless cube. Every wall is white. You can't tell where up is. You can't tell where down is. The food that comes through the door is also cube-shaped and vaguely gelatinous. And you need to get to another cube one day. So you open the door, <laughs> and there's an and MX-30. And beautiful non-cube item. There is a Mazda MX-30 sitting there. Yeah. And you hand over, what is it, Sammy? $34,000? Yeah, thirty-five grand. yeah. <laughs> and you get in this MX-30. Of cube money, yeah. But then you Highly find out. cube money. Cube money, yeah. Cube money is a little, the exchange rate fluctuates, but... Um, then you get in and you find out that the cube you need to get to is 101 miles away. <laughs> and you look and at the range on the on the dashboard. And what does it say, Sammy? It says 100. 100 on what? The dot. 
100 miles? 100 miles, yeah. Sammy, is there another SUV that is within 50% of that mileage? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. What about the mini- I love that you call I also love that you were generous enough to call it an SUV. This is very far from an SUV. I feel like maybe the mini SE, which was designed what, a yes, decade ago? 100. <laughs> no, but the mini as well has that uh, that kind of range. Like 130 and I also miles think- or something like that, right? I also think it might be a different price point. Um, but let me just say it was designed literally five years before this vehicle came into existence. So yeah, mini- I'm giving it a pass for it being a very old platform. <laughs> let me find out. Hold on. What is this electric? What does this electric mini ca- cost these days? So th- we're beating up on this MX-30 for. Let's give the. Let me give the the the. I mean, no, the the. Electric Mini is a little bit cheaper. It's thirty three nine. It's thirty three nine, and 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 the range is a little bit farther, right? I believe so. So yes. it's still higher up on the list than the MX thirty. Yeah, absolutely. Now let's let's make a list of vehicles that are cheaper than the MX thirty that are also EVs. We've got the Bolt. Yeah, we got the Bolt EUV. <laughs> we've got the we've got the we've got the Leaf. Uh-huh. We've got the um, ID four. Is it cheaper or no? No, so, it's more expensive. So let's okay. So let's say. You have a little bit more money than $35,000 and you want to buy an EV. If you were to buy the ID4, which I think is 38000 so $3,000 more gets you 275 miles of range. Literally 2.75 times <laughs> the amount of range that you get with the MX-30. And then I think if you spend a little bit more money than that, you get 300 miles of range from a... or or between 260 and 300 miles of range from the Ionic 5. So mm-hmm. all of this to say, and I know this is the car that Sammy drove, not the car that I drove. I haven't driven this car. You know why I haven't driven this car? Because I probably couldn't get to my house from the fleet location without stopping to recharge. That's yep. how weak the range is on this vehicle. And yet it is priced as though it is competing with cars with two to three times the range and significantly more power. Sammy, what can you yeah. tell us about this car? So, I mean, there the 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 initial impression that you you've given off just by looking at it and uh, and the specs that it provides is fairly accurate, okay? This car does not have great range and just like you mentioned, the pickup location for me to get home was so was like within I would say 10% um under 10% I had range like sorry, I had under 10% range when I got home. Meaning that if I had to make any change to my to my route to get home, there there was a chance that I would have to find a, a place to charge. That's because it uses an o- only thirty kilowatt hour battery, which is like tiny, like honestly very small in the world of of EVs these days. Most EVs you know um, and love have um, between sixty and I think seventy kilowatt hours uh, kilowatt hour batteries. I would say there are probably plug in hybrids that have batteries larger than this one. I'm trying to think of a 30 kilowatt hour plug-in hybrid. I think you're right. There might be, but um, I think that's yeah. That's the major element. I think that is keeping the um, that is keeping the MX30 down right now. And I don't know why that I don't know why this car is has such a poor size, poorly sized battery. Like this to me is my biggest confusion um, because I'm trying to figure out the the platform. So. The only reason, let's be clear about why this vehicle exists. It's only sold in California and mm-hmm. what, three Canadian provinces? Yep. So 
it is a compliance car. Like we've talked about in the past, compliance cars exist because the automaker, for whatever reason, needs to get a certain number of credits for having an emissions-free vehicle in order to continue selling vehicles in that jurisdiction. So California, right. notoriously tight with emissions. They require uh, zero emissions vehicles uh, to be a certain number, a certain percentage of the fleet. Mazda is a very small company. They don't often have the ability to research and develop something like a ground-up electric platform. So yeah. they come up with but the MX-30. Is- but I, again, and I know what you're about to say, Sammy. Why couldn't they have made it better? Why couldn't they have just bought a no. bigger battery from they- a third-party supplier? I mean, GM is buying batteries from LG. It's not It's not like there's shame in that. It just It's extremely puzzling. And it's not even like this is a cheap compliance car it's the way it's positioned in the market is almost as though it's a premium model and it feels like everything about it is a misfire everything about it um does seem like a bit of a misfire first of all as a compliance vehicle to me the automaker in in past examples of compliance vehicles which i think we've also panned um because they seemed a bit lazy they were lazy. They would take out every element that was gas related to the vehicle, to a small vehicle, stuff as much batteries as they could in the in the platform, and call it a day. There you go. And I'm talking. We we had, you know, EVs. Let, let's think of some of the compliance vehicles from from five years ago. Well, there's like the Ford Focus EV, which yeah, which wasn't a bad vehicle until you tried to charge it, and I think the charge rate was like six kilowatts or something like that. Very very like. Legitimately, Ford Focus EV had more range, 115 miles of range. Exactly. I was saying it wasn't for the time. It wasn't a bad EV, except for that charge time. It just took forever. It was way behind vehicles like the Leaf, which were, I guess, kind of the direct competitor at the time. Uh, another one was the there was a Toyota Rav Four. Oh, that's but that's a different size. I would call that a, a, a totally different size. But it's but still yeah. a compliance vehicle because they sold almost none of them, and one of them had a borrowed Tesla drivetrain, I think. Yeah. And they sold even fewer of those. Uh, the Fiat uh, EV, I'm the Fiat to... Electric, the Spark yeah. EV, those were also... I mean, the Spark EV, it had the... 500E had 87 miles of range, so it was, a bit, it was a bit below that. But I mean, when you look at the size of the vehicle, that makes sense. And they were cheap. They were cheaper. They weren't like priced like the MX-30 is. And the, the Fiat EV was fun to drive. It had a lot of torque. Um, and they lost money on every one that was sold. And remember, we've talked about it on the podcast before, but Marcioni, yes. Sergei Marcioni, the the head honcho at Fiat, was like, please don't buy this car. <laughs> we don't we don't want to sell these. Uh, you're costing us. It sucks. Um, not the, I'm looking not at the car a bunch sucks, of these. the situation business-wise. Uh, and same with the Spark EV, 82 miles of range, but had, the, had 400 pound-feet of torque. I'm looking at all of these these compliance cars from nine years ago, I guess, and maybe this is what maybe this is what Mazda was benchmarking. They're like, we made our cars fifty percent better than other EVs. We've been developing this car for a very long time. <laughs> yes, no, but in reality, to me, what is the number one thing that holds e- holds someone back from buying an EV? It's not quite the design, which I think the MX-30 excels at. It's but range it's anxiety rate. and price. Exactly. And performance, right? And price. Uh, right. I don't know if performance really... I, I think most EVs are, are equivalent at least to an entry-level gas engine. All right. So let's talk about that for a moment. <laughs> I like where this just is so going. I'm saying, Just so I'm saying, <laughs> Mazda, they, they missed the mark on the idea that um, EV buyers might want, range, might want a lot of range. They got this one with 100 miles, which is... Um, subpar like it's below average it's It's well below below average average. yeah um and it has to be it's limiting i think that's the best way to describe it it's limiting you have to be able to live a lifestyle that supports this vehicle okay second of all the performance 148 horsepower 
isn't a lot. Like it just isn't. It doesn't feel superbly fast when you put your foot into it. Um, and that's weird because most EVs have like this great punchy, confident feeling powertrain. We don't have that here. It's it just doesn't. It feels like a it feels like a subcompact car um, with a CVT. Sometimes you know when you just like put your foot down, you're waiting for something to happen. We're just waiting for the the power to to build and get to where it needs to be, and we're just moving along. So that's a disappointing element as well. What I'm seeing here is that Mazda decided to put all their emphasis on their electric vehicle in the design of the vehicle and maybe maybe the handling of the vehicle, which is fairly decent for an EV. But there are a lot of really well handling EVs. The extra the the low what are they called the low center of gravity helps them feel fairly agile, even though they're heavy. Um, and MX, the MX-30 feels fine. Like, it doesn't feel particularly um, sprightly because of that limited powertrain. Um, and that's it. I don't know. I'm, I'm really disappointed in these two elements. I, the I, other thing I want to point out is you might be confused into thinking that this is maybe practical because it has these uh, rear-hinged um, rear doors. It's not. I couldn't put my baby seat back, my backward-facing baby seat back there. Um, so that's not very handy because there wasn't enough seat space or cause there, you couldn't get it through the, the, the doorway. Oh my God. Both elements. It's, it's a pain in the butt to get it in. And then, yeah, once you're in there, um, there's no seat space. So there's no, not enough room. And then the other element that I think we need to discuss in, in, in a positive light is the interior design feels fairly premium. It feels like a fully loaded kind of Mazda three or CX 50, um, which can feel, good it's not i'm not gonna say high-end or luxurious it feels good there's not a lot of like cheap plastics there's not a lot of ugly stuff all around the place um it's it's good what Um, i want to talk about yeah based on what you just said yep why did they not just take a cx30 and and put put an electric motor in it because i don't know i don't understand why they blew that why they blew that um that Cause, objective because you know normally when you develop a new platform you're saying this is a completely different platform right i don't think it is it seems to be shared with this the the rest of the current small okay. vehicle lines the the cx30 the cx50 and the Mazda three i would say the only reason i think it's would, scalable i think it's like a one of those what do you call it uh like tnga or everything is TNGA. yeah yeah so i would if you're you normally when you build a specific model and make it an ev it's because you want to do something special or good with it right that you're limited yes. you can't do those things in in a by converting an ic because you're limited by something but it kind of feels like that's not the case here like they didn't do anything special or good with this car and in terms of styling it's a wash whether it looks better than a cx30 so why not just make it a cx30 with a battery that is astounding to me like the, the, the Everything about this car makes no sense at all. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, there was so little I enjoyed about it, except for the rush I got when I finally arrived at my destination with range remaining. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, you were telling me that this, this doesn't seem to be on sale for 2024. Yes, as far as I can tell, they've discontinued this vehicle for 2024. So it's a one Understandably, year. maybe they finally, they've heard enough poor criticism uh, or negative feedback of this vehicle. And I think they're, I don't know what to do next. I don't know what they'll do next. So we're but. looking at a single model year, subpar EV, and all the people who bought it just got screwed. <laughs> yeah. Because like, I'm willing to bet 90% of Mazda dealerships will never see one in the service bay. So when mm-hmm. it does arrive... They're not going to have someone there who's qualified to work on it because there's no other EVs in the Mazda lineup. 
So it's not like they're going to be able to have shared knowledge. And then parts, where are they going to get parts? They're not going to be in stock. So you're going to be waiting while they ship it from the motherland. Right? Right, right. And it is built in, it's built in Japan. So it's just not a good mix. Like everything about this vehicle seems like it will turn off potential customers. Like if you are one of the people who bought, and if you're listening and you own an MX-30, I need to hear from you. But, yeah, we need uh, to figure out what went what one what, what went on. We you must have gotten a great deal. Do an intervention. I mean, if it is a great deal, I mean, if you if you paid like twenty thousand dollars for it, yeah, I would a, understand or, or that. Or a or a double digit monthly lease. Like, yeah, yeah. To, to me, that's the kind of price you would have to have to justify buying this car in twenty twenty three. I agree. Um, they uh, like. So let me explain this. Well, Ben, you've been to you've been to my new house. You've seen I, I moved into a different city, a much more denser city than I used to live in, uh, or maybe I'm closer to the city core than I used to be. And as a result, I didn't find the range to be totally limiting when I had to do my daily runaround, um, my weekly errands. Let's say getting groceries, uh, going to appointments, um, getting food, whatever we whatever it was perfectly reasonable. Um, with this range and I could always charge it at home and I don't even have a level two charger like you do Ben I just have the regular household outlet and in the morning I would have more or less like full charge this is a, this to me means like I think there there is a there's a psychological impact of getting into a car every single morning and seeing a hundred percent but the moment you look at the range you go well okay I like that a hundred percent will only get me so far yeah and what's the charge speed on it the charge speed tops out. Um, I had an actually pretty decent charge speed. I think it's supposed to be limited to a certain um, uh, kilowatt um, power, like forty kilowatt <sighs> DC DC charging. But I had it up to like fifty or sixty at one point. So it's not even competitive um, there. No, 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 not at all. So the- and that was with a one fifty kilowatt uh, charger. But of course. These uh, these rates can sometimes vary depending on what's going on with ambient temperature or other people on the on the charging network. There's one more thing that we're kind of dancing around and not really talking about when, when it comes to this vehicle. And that's the fact that it doesn't have a 100 mile range. It doesn't have a 100 mile range. No, Why not? Because when you're on a road trip. Oh, yes. And you're charging an EV. Right. You charge to 80 percent. Right. Uh, because if you're at a, a charger, even a fast charger, once you hit 80%, the battery starts to dramatically slow down the amount of the speed of the energy that it can absorb because otherwise it generates too much heat and it can damage the battery. So if you yes. you you basically have an 80 mile have 80 miles. If yeah. you if you ever leave an urban area and you're charging anywhere other than at a, a slow charger, like a level two or mm-hmm. or a one ten at your house, you know, you have an eighty mile um EV. And that really that puts it below <laughs> Some yeah. of the old compliance cars we were just talking about. Sure. Which is totally crazy. But of course, those have really limited charge speeds. Um, oh, yeah. Like much more limited than this. But anyways, sure. I mean, I, I just, I'm disappointed in the mindset of what was going on here. I get maybe they wanted to dip their toe in the EV world, but I just think that they wasted, they probably wasted a lot of energy figuring this car out. Um, and putting it on market. And I mean, I just think of like things like, let's say crash test standards or, or I don't know, reliability, you know, quality assurance to make sure that this thing survives the the temperatures that, you know, a car can go through. Yeah. And I feel and, bad for all the dealers who had this foisted on them and had to order inventory that was going to sit in their, in their showroom and just gather dust. I don't know. There's, there's also these, oh, there's all these rumors that Mazda 
it was going to make a rotary powered version of this vehicle. I think that might be it might exist in some I, other I don't market. I believe a single rotary powered Mazda future because that engine is just it's a developmental dead end. Oh, if they'd taken the money, uh, look, I'm a rotary engine fan, but they they had their time. If they had taken the money they'd spent developing these rotary engines and put them into the EV, maybe things would be a little bit different. <laughs> this is I agree. It, it feels like a <laughs> <laughs> Even Porsche moved away from the uh, rear-engined uh, layout for their sports cars and made a, a mid-engine one eventually, yeah, exactly. right? Like, um, and um, I don't know. Apparently, a plug-in hybrid was pl- was shown off sometime this year um, in Japan, Australia, and New Zealand. Okay. Um, as well as a gasoline-powered all-wheel drive mild hybrid version. I don't know. What the so heck is this car? They've sold 100 miles, 100 examples of the MX-30 in the U.S. so far this US. year. That's last, way more than they should have. Last year, they sold 324. Wow. So this is like one of the rarest cars in the world. And then I look at the European sales chart. Mm-hmm. Is, there a, is there a different version in Europe? Because they sold 12,000 last year. There must be. Uh, let me, let, let, let's find one. Hold on. Let's go to uh, our favorite... Um, our favorite European destination, France. <laughs> so while Sammy is looking at France, um, it's interesting. It apparently, went on sale like late in, uh, very late in 2021, like in the United States. In December, they sold 61 examples. So um, the other thing that I thought was kind of weird is if you look at the sales figures and how they're broken down. In, in 2022, the only year we have full sales for, sales stopped after July. So they sold from January to July, and in July they sold single digits, and then August to December, no units were sold. And it, I'm looking at this year's sales, and it's kind of the same thing, where um, they have reports of sales from January to August, where it gets to single digits, and then September and October, nothing. And whether that's just because we don't have the data yet, I don't know. But uh, yeah, the European one is is quite different. Um, I don't know if it's a pricing thing. Yeah, or- and and it seems like there is a plug-in hybrid model. Is there? Okay. Uh, as well, which, yeah, that changes things. For sure. And I mean, I could see it being a city-sized car in Europe with a plug-in hybrid that's easy to park. You know, that's actually, wild. Actually a vehicle that has strengths. Any, is, is there anything, is there any final thoughts you have on this, uh, on beating up on the MX-30? Look, I'm not beating up on it. I just think that Mazda has shown us that they can, when they put their mind to something they could do some pretty cool stuff i mean i think me and you were both fairly impressed with their idea with their design language of the of the current products which like for lack of a better way to describe it don't have design lines like they're these really sleek but attractive looking vehicles the mazda 3 in particular i think is a strong compact car which doesn't try to be a bigger vehicle than it like than it is which is what i think the civic does instead which is it feels like an, a mini Accord, while the Mazda 3 feels like a very good vehicle. And especially if you've driven the turbocharged version of that car, it's fantastic. And I've recommended the CX-5 and CX-50 to people, and I'm pretty confident with, with, those, with those offerings. This is not, it feels like it's, and of course there's the Miata. I mean, we're talking about the Miata. The Miata is always a, an option for somebody looking for a cheap sports yeah, car. But I mean, I don't, this I don't, doesn't I don't... feel like a product made by the same people. Like, isn't yeah. that crazy? I think it was probably some, you know, where they sent all the engineers that they were kind of, it's like the gulag. It's, it's, they were exiled oh, into oh. MX-30 land and they're like, we need this compliance EV and uh, just make it happen. And we don't really care how it happens. And we're going to sell 12,000 of them in Europe, but none in the United States. And it's like, what do you even do with that information? It's, it's very difficult. I mean, they've, 
they've had let's 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 try to think about how they they could have approached this. You said they could have just out, outsource a bigger battery. They could have done what they did, I think, with the Mazda 2. With the last year of the Mazda 2, it was a it was a Yaris as well. Yeah, you can't go to Toyota for an EV, though. Not... <laughs> Who will then turn to Subaru and be like, hey, what what are you doing? But what I, what I mean is, it's just they decided to make a vehicle that's not in any way competitive. And that blows my right. mind. They decided to make a vehicle. And yes. it's their first ever EV. So, Which means that they feel it feels like they're already a step behind. Well, you want to talk about there something? Are multiple steps behind. No, of course. We're we're going to talk about one. We're going to talk about another another automaker that had uh, a leg up in terms of EVs. And I wanted to uh, later on the podcast. And I want to bring up. You mentioned the Mini. Mini and BMW have been working on EVs for a very very long time. Yeah, at least a decade. And I think we're seeing the fruits of their label, at least on the BMW side. We're seeing the fruits of their labor because the i4 is very is very good, um, i7 very cool, ix incredibly like like wonderful to drive. There might be a little they might be a little ugly and expensive, but they're great EVs. Um, and be, we've seen that progression from i3 or even before that. I think they had these active e and the mini e. Um, like pilot programs, but yeah, and we're, we're seeing that progression to get to where they are now. But we're also seeing the effect of what, what Mazda, which is a company that does not have a lot of money to spend on flights of fancy, uh, it, it limits their ability to research and develop a brand new, like uh, not even a new drivetrain, just a new form of propulsion. And if you look around the industry and look at Chrysler, for example, this is another company that does not that really ma- does not really yeah. have any EVs, right? And and also. Partnered with Mazda in the past, <laughs> they did. with the Fiat, with the Fiat, uh, the 124 Spider. Oh yeah, I totally forgot about that vehicle. Um, <laughs> Everyone has. Uh, yeah, it's it's. I, I, I miss. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there's no pure electrics in the in the North American lineup for Stellantis right now. Not yet. No. There's and there's, there's a few. Like, there's there's yeah. the the van that we talked about recently, the Pacifica, the Pacifica plug-in, which is good, but there's no pure electrics. And th- th- and then coming, there's the, the Hornet PHEV, I think. Yeah, and and you know we're supposed to get a battery and version the Jeep, of the tr- and the Jeep Jeep PHEVs. Sure, but no EVs. So no. we were supposed to get a battery powered charger at some point in the future. Um, a car, I'm not sure anyone is asking for, but it would be the first battery powered car. You know from what we used to know as Chrysler. So Chrysler does not have a lot of money either. And it's a company where financial instability has really kind of sabotaged long-term planning in certain segments. And Mazda is is facing the same kind of thing. And Mazda is very small and they can't afford to make mistakes. And maybe they just thought if we pour all this money into making an EV that's competitive, we don't really know if our customers want it and it will cost us a lot of money in terms of development, and then we kind of have to eat all of that investment. Whereas if we spend the bare minimum to make the MX-30, it's the least financially perilous choice for us to make. Actually, I guess there is an EV with, uh, there's a little bit of experience at Stellant- in Stellantis for, with their EVs. One minute. Modern experience. There's a 500E. There's like a global 500E. Yeah, but the 500 apparently, is, hold on. When they when they have weird they have weird measurements for their. But I'm talking about North America. Okay, right now sure. In their lineup. But like when we say that they're a small automaker with like limited resources, they also have a global portfolio to to call experience from. But that global portfolio has been starved of development money for 
a very long time. Don't forget how dire straits the um, European market was in the t- in the twenty mm-hmm. teens, and mm-hmm. essentially mm-hmm. sales from Ram and Jeep were the only things keeping Fiat and Alfa Romeo and all those companies alive. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not arguing against that. Sorry, so they didn't yeah. have the money to develop an EV platform at the same you know concurrently with Ford and GM. Right. Um, so, all I'm saying is that there's a, there's a 2024 Fiat 500e, but but, um, but not here. Not here. It's going to be coming apparently to North America. Yeah, we'll and see. in Europe, it's rated for 199 miles of range. We'll although see. that usually tra- drops significantly when they do the EPA test rather than the WLTP we'll, test. We'll see what happens with Fiat. It's a company that has repeatedly lied to its North American dealers and told them, "Oh, there's going to be other companies. There's going to be other vehicles coming, and don't worry. It's not. We're not just going to be 500s." And then it ended up just being variants of the 500. <laughs> and like all those dealers that invested in, you know, adding the Fiat showroom to their their real estate portfolio, uh, they were not competitive, you know. And then they started thinning the ranks. And yeah, you were ta- you're right. They got the one two four, but that was essentially a compl- a a, a, a stopgap measure that wasn't an in-house effort. So I don't know if we're ever going to get another electric Fiat. And with car companies kind of moving away from, right now we're in this weird space where um, car companies have these uh, very expensive EVs like the Ford Lightning and, you know, the i7 we were talking about. Um, and sales are starting to slow down because everyone who wanted a vehicle like that, that had crazy range, crazy power and was very expensive, they have them now. Mm-hmm. It's not an infinite pool of customers. And there's nothing affordable, really. We have the Bolt leaving. We have this Mazda, which is, you know, not at all something most people would be able to fit into their lives. And then you you have to get to the $40,000 mark, the ID4 and the Ionic, before you really start to... Um, have, uh, I guess, affordable EVs. And there's nothing in the $20,000 range, really, except for the Leaf. And that's a vehicle that is not super competitive in many areas. So to the idea that, you know, these car companies have invested so much in these very expensive EVs, and now they're starting to pull back from that. They're like, Ford is saying, oh, it's, we're going to, mm-hmm. we're not able to, we're, we're losing a ton of money on EVs. And GM is pushing back the release dates on so many of the vehicles that they had planned. And it's because they never thought about volume. They were entirely aimed at these large profit centers and it's kind of biting them in the ass right now. It is crazy to see how the automakers are. I mean, I feel like you can tell some automakers are proactive with the EV conversation and other ones are very reactive to it. Um, But the other element that is really throwing me off constantly is not that I, I don't want to make it about, about like mass media or something like that, but a lot of people are like, oh, the EV, the EV thing has been a failure. There, nobody can get their hands on EVs. Nobody wants EVs. And I don't think that's true. I think people do want EVs, um, but I think volume is not there and the pricing or the value is not there either, either. And now we've got automakers really struggling to either make money on EVs or they don't want – like they, they want to make extremely – um, high margin vehicles that are super expensive, unaffordable for people. And it's painful to watch. Like it really is well, because there's gonna... automakers that used to be, used to have a foothold in the EV market. We talked about GM and the Bolt, Lease, Nissan and the Leaf. Um, I think both had very strong uh, initial offerings with EVs that were affordable. They were usable. They were functional. Um, and they were easy to get their hands on. Yeah. So let's, let's I, sorry, go on. And I think the auto, both of those automakers have moved away from their, 
from what I thought was a successful formula. So let's let's segue there into the vehicle that I drove. Uh, we don't have a lot of time, so I don't want to talk about it. In, oh, I'm sorry. In too much depth, but uh, Nissan's pivot into moving from the Bolt, which as you met, sorry, the the, the the Leaf, which was the first commercially available EV, uh, the first successful EV, really, into a world where EVs hit that same upscale point that we were just talking about where range and power are all, you know, many multiples of what they used to be. But the Leaf just kind of kept trucking along. It's, it's something that's always been in their portfolio. A couple of years ago, they upgraded it so that it had like around 200 miles of range, I think, after having been under that mark for so long. But, you know, it's still an economy car. It's a car that doesn't have a ton of features. It's a car that you have to really, you had to really want an electric vehicle stripped down in order to be happy with what the Leaf is serving when you compare the other options. Nissan didn't have anything else in its lineup that was electric. And it's super strange because they kind of frittered away this lead that they had, the one that you mentioned, where they've been in the business since, I guess, what, 2010, Mm -hmm. 2011? And they didn't build on that. At least with GM, you know, they started to build on it. Eventually, we got the Volt and then we got the Bolt. And then we got things like the, the electric Hummer and the electric Silverado and the, you know, the electric version Lyric, of the Razor, the Lyric, the, all this, all this Cadillac stuff. Escalade. Sure. Uh, but, but there's no electric Escalade yet. Yeah. IQ. Escalade IQ. It's not on the market though. It's coming. Okay. So uh, that's one of those vehicles I think that's been pushed back. Um, okay. Anyway, the the point I'm making is there was no Nissan equivalent. Nissan never mm-hmm. followed up and they, they got caught behind companies like Ford, which had no real presence in the EV market and then suddenly did. And uh, companies like, well, who else is, is well, obviously Hyundai and Kia, which came and out Volkswagen. of- Volkswagen. And Volkswagen, all of which came out of nowhere to provide competitive, decent uh, electric options. I mean, for Volkswagen, it's because they got caught they with to. their pants down yeah. because of the diesel stuff. But Hyundai and Kia, they made an effort to invest in this. So it wasn't until this year that Nissan came out with something called the Aria, which is an SUV, full electric. It's a new platform. Um, it's very different from the from the Leaf. It it doesn't use the same charging standard. The outdated was it CC? Uh, I can't remember. Chatmo. Chatmo. It's a different type of plug that the Leaf has, which is being phased out. It's more difficult to find if you're looking for a fast charger. Um, this is the the Aria. It's it's in step with what you would find with other EVs. It, it has um, you can get a dual motor. You can get a single motor. It has pretty decent range. It starts at around. 205 miles and goes all the way up to 300 miles. And in between, there's a whole bunch of different versions. The, there's actually nine trim levels. It's, it's a little bit confusing. Um, the version that I drove was the top tier. Platinum Plus, E-Force, all-wheel drive. Oh, Sammy, we have to provide the update. Oh, what? On uh, on the uh, Ask Me Force that we talked about last week? Okay, so... <laughs> Just as a reminder, we mentioned a concept vehicle shown off at the Japanese auto automotive, auto. What is it called? It's mobility called the show? Tokyo Motor Show. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Tokyo Mobility Show. Jeez, I'm off. Um, which was supposed to like conceptualize a, a next generation GTR. Yeah, but it had ASBE Force written on the side. And we were like, what does ASBE mean? We couldn't, there was no explanation. And even if you go to like the Nissan website, you can't find any information related to that part of this concept car. I did some searching and found that ASBE actually refers to solid state batteries. <laughs> All solid state batteries. Is that what it's, so, it's something like that? And it's I love like, that they had to mention that all of it is all of the all of the batteries will be solid. State yeah, not batteries. just part, not just half, not just a quarter. Which we which we are worried about, really. So th- this is because then it would have been piss me for it. 
partial solid state battery. Oh my goodness, I can't believe oh, you no. just said that. Um, so anyway, I found this information on like a press release from a few years ago. Like it was nothing related to like the the hypercar. So they just expected that everyone was following all of their developments and knew what Aspie Force would write would would right. mean. So in this case, it's it's E Force, which means all wheel drive basically. But they add all wheel drive to it as well, which is kind of funny. So it's mm-hmm. the E Force AWD. Um, <laughs> This version of the car has 267 miles of range, which is okay. Mm-hmm. It's not great. It's not. It's not terrible. It's it's, it's right great. in there. It's like it's like in the conversation. Yeah, but that's not the problem. Is this is the most expensive version of the car? It's a sixty thousand dollars starting price, um, and the the cheapest version is forty four thousand. The cheapest version has two hundred and fifteen miles of range, mm-hmm. and it has front wheel drive. Now, there's a bunch of weird stuff going on here. 215 miles of range from a $44,000 vehicle is way out of step with the vehicles we were talking about before, the Ionic and the ID4. Yep. I mean, they are going to blow it away in terms of range at that price point. Mm-hmm. Um, if a $44,000 Ionic 5 has 305 miles of range and is rear-wheel drive. Mm-hmm. So right away, there's something weird. The second weird thing is, why is there a front-wheel drive Aria? There's yeah, no, why isn't it rear-wheel drive? There's no advantage to having front-wheel drive in an electric application the only reason we have it for ice cars is because of packaging and cost uh these these are factors that are out the window when you're talking about electrics so these are the two areas of the aria that don't make a lot of sense i liked the car i had the dual motor 389 horsepower 442 pound feet of torque the range was pretty much as advertised when it got cold i lost a little bit of power sorry a little bit of distance driving but i was able to go back and forth to montreal from home without having to charge which is great um i thought it looked good it's kind of a mix between like the rogue and the murano i had it was in like a rose gold gold color that i had i think it looks better than the darker colors that you could also get the interior is very nice i had there's tons of like suede and soft touch leather and stuff in the top end vehicle nice. uh, it was nice and organic feeling it wasn't sterile like a lot of evs are the more money you spend the more piano black you get which is not something i'm super into um all this to say it's a very decent vehicle it's reasonable inside in terms of size uh, the power is fine. Acceleration is good. The range is good, but the pricing just doesn't make sense. $60,000 for that level of range. It's more money than you're going to spend almost anywhere else in a non-luxury EV, Sammy. Like I don't yeah. get it. And what kind of bothers me about this is Nissan made its bones with an affordable electric vehicle, the Leaf. Yep. Yep. And now they've gone to the complete opposite spectrum. And I don't know if they think they're going to like, are Leaf customers going to make that jump? Cause like, it's $20,000 more, or sorry, $30,000 more than a base Leaf. But I mean, we also have to mention that this car, I think, has been a long time coming. I think they revealed it back in 2019 or 2020. It was supposed to come out very soon after that. COVID uh, or pandemic-related delays occurred. It's now coming in 2023. I'm feeling that anybody who was waiting on the, on the Aria has moved on. It's entirely possible. And I'm going to be brutally honest. If you're still waiting for the Aria, you need to move on because you can get much better value elsewhere. Um, there's nothing about this vehicle that you can't get from a, from a competitor at a cheaper price. At almost every level of the trims that are offered between that $44,000 to $60,000 mark. I It's sad because I like this vehicle, but I can't recommend it. I can't tell someone that they should spend more on the Aria because there's nothing about it that compels you to do that. There's nothing mm-hmm. that is a standout feature you can't get anywhere else. 
Um, and then, of course, that's that's the major element, right? There's no killer app here that makes the Arya stand out, right? That that's that's my biggest issue. I and think it's it's not, and, and also like the fact that it's it's is only average. It's it only, is is ride quality. It no no, and and it's only average in terms of like range. You know this. You know what I'm eager to find out though, Ben. And I know this sounds really like dismissive. We will, me and you, get the added benefit of driving um, cars in some pretty sub-zero temperatures. Like not just sub-zero, but like sub-sub-zero temperatures. And I think EVs have such different um, reactions to that to those um, temperatures that you'll get to find out which ones have been have been cleverly engineered to to ensure that they don't become paperweights. Like, the range goes to hell, which is something that used to happen. A lot of first-generation EVs, I think, or first-year model-year vehicles didn't have heat pumps so that they couldn't keep those batteries warm and maintain good range or good charge levels. And we'll see what happens when the temperature drops well, I drove and this- whether or not that separates uh, so the, these EVs from the rest. The, the temperature has been variable over the week that I had the Aria. And uh, one day it was 19 degrees Celsius, which I guess is like 65, 67 degrees Fahrenheit. And then the next day it was freezing. So I drove it on okay. both days uh, and I drove it long distance. And I probably lost about 25 miles of range in the cold. Twenty to About 20, 10%? Something like that. 20 to 25 miles from what That's I remember. That's not bad. I think sometimes we used to see drops of like... 30 to 40 with early early level EVs, yeah. right? But still, it's not impressive enough for me to say spend another five yeah. six thousand dollars on this vehicle. Like, no, I agree with you. I agree here. And the 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 other saving grace maybe for the Aria, I like the interior a lot. The exterior, it's not super extroverted. Like the Hyundai and the Kia EVs, I like how they look, but they do look like electric cars. And that the, the <laughs> Aria looks like an electric car in certain colors, the certain two tone colors, and in others it looks kind of more like a normal SUV. For some people, that might count for something. Um, okay. Now the question I have is at this price point, at this level, would you have imagined that they there was a conversation at some point where they're like, well, just tack on another 10 grand and call it an infinite put it put some chrome on it and call it an infinity i don't like, think they can i don't i think that this is the ceiling like i don't think you could isn't push that crazy yeah and i think what we're seeing is nissan got was was late to the party <laughs> yeah and by the time they got to the party everyone was selling these expensive suvs and they were like oh well we can just sell an expensive ev as well and, and then they, they come out with it and everyone's kind of like that's not it nissan that's you know like it's it's great it's fine but, it's so funny that you say they're late to the party when they were one of the first people. Yeah. At, they were the first. They were at the party when it was, it was just them. They were the only yeah. people at the party. It was the Leaf party. <laughs> the Leaf and Bolt were there. There's one more thing I want to mention about this vehicle. Last thing I'll say. Okay. It has a sport mode. Sport mode doesn't do much. It doesn't really change the character of the car that much. What it does do is generate the most annoying noise you could possibly imagine. <laughs> like this... Like a really high pitched whining sound that goes but up. But you love UFO sounds in in general. I don't like but... a constant loud UFO sound while I'm accelerating. I had to turn it off. Like I, I could not use the sport mode. I didn't check to see if I could configure sport mode to not have that sound. I sincerely hope it's possible because it doesn't really sound sporty. It's it's quite in your face and it's just. I mean, it's unpleasant. So Well, that's what happens when you don't go to Hans Zimmer like BMW. I know. Did. Hans Zimmer was occupied and they got Zim Hanser and he's just not as good. <laughs> Speaking of um, Hans Zimmer, if you ever, there's this, uh, 
I don't know if you've ever talked about this, but on Jeopardy, they sometimes do like celebrity clues where a right. celebrity will read out the Jeopardy clues. Yes, I saw this. Okay, yes. Yeah, yeah, so they had a Hans Zimmer <laughs> one and he's in every clue he read. He was in this like, I guess it's his composing room and it's mm-hmm. floor to ceiling red velvet and velour, like huge curtains and like velvet seating surfaces. And it looks like old school royalty. And it's hilarious to me that that's where he's making his music. <laughs> what? What kind of uh, what kind of environment do you need to make music? In? I Come need on. Uh, a white cube with no features. <laughs> Get I, with your cube. <laughs> I need to be fed a cube-like food that's somewhat gelatinous. That's where I find my most inspiration from I food that might not be food, <laughs> but food that might be stealing something from my body. um okay one more thing ben we got a message from i mean if you remember last week i was talking about the volvo xe 90 and was complaining about the third row seating in it um and saying that in many cases it just seems to be like those third rows are are super um impractical yeah they're you can't get to them because you can't get to them you can't uh you can't be comfortable in there they're they're treated like second or third class citizens in the third row anyways so what's the deal and you got some responses um why don't you give me one of the responses that you got yeah, from a list friend list. of the show uh nick wrote in to say that um in his family uh a family member had a three row for many years because they had three kids that were too young for the front seat mm-hmm. and when the two youngest were in car seats it would have scrunched the oldest i guess in between yeah, in the middle yeah, yeah so the the problem that's where they had the three rows so that they could fit everyone in but now they have four and the oldest is 15 years old and uh they can't all fit in right they can't all fit into the three row and they were also mentioning that you know this this ties back to the idea that when you have these car seats in you can't always sit behind them or in front of them Mm -hmm. that's because they take up a certain amount of space and that space is non-fungible like you can't change the shape of the car seat just doesn't happen you can't move your knees out of the way kind of deal so um it's it's interesting to hear like people's experiences with the three rows and how it was good for a while for a very specific driving experience or sorry yeah uh i guess passenger experience and then something changed in the mix and that vehicle just wasn't big enough anymore and it must be really frustrating because where do you go from there not everyone wants to buy a suburban i guess is where i'm going with this no, but I mean, I guess you're – no, of course. Naturally, I think maybe I should have added the caveat that if you have more than two kids, a three-row seems like a must. Like it, it – you'll have to figure it out. I don't think everyone will be happy with this situation, the situation, the, the passenger situation, but it'll be it'll be functional. It'll be functional in that case, right? Yeah, and, and, and Nick went on to say, you know, he also used to think that, you know, backseat equals kid space, but then he, he borrowed a Prius from a friend. And he couldn't put his own driver's seat back far enough because of where the child seat was in the back. And that's mm-hmm. that's where you end up in a situation where you need that third row. Um, yes. I, that, that's all I had to say about that. Okay, great. I love hearing from our listeners. They are We have some of the best listeners, um, I think, on the internet. On the planet. You think so? I don't think we have any listeners in orbit, Sammy, so I'm going to go okay. with that. <laughs> and I mean, that's pretty – I mean, we, we're we're – how many A's would you give this podcast? A tr- we're not triple A. We're like double A. I don't understand what you're saying right now. We're just super high quality. We're like That's the Kansas saying. City Chiefs of like the <laughs> professional sports world, I guess. Yeah, sure. Um, so I, we always love hearing from you guys. We get a ton of great messages from you. Um, please keep it coming. If you want to get in touch with us, please find us. Um, you can come to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There's a contact form right there. You fill it out. It lands in our inbox. And that's how we read your messages. Or you can email us the old-fashioned way, 
Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Or you can just reach out to us on social media. Ben is on Instagram. He's at HuntingBenjamin. And you can find me on the social media network formerly called Twitter. I think it's called X. I'm Sammy underscore ha like you're laughing. And if you want to listen to old episodes, the easiest way to do that is to either go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com where we have like all 340 episodes waiting for you to discover our early days when we were perhaps not as glib as we are now. And you can do the same thing on any podcatcher, Spotify, Amazon, uh, all of that fun stuff, Apple. We are everywhere and inescapable and we would love to have you rate us or like us or recommend us to your friends because it's a, it's, it gives us a big boost. Um, ben, what are we talking about next week? Next week, I'm going to be talking about an extremely confusing vehicle called the Toyota Crown. Have you driven the Crown, Sammy? I have not driven the Crown, not yet. Well, heavy is the head, and I'm excited to talk about it with you. And I'll be driving the Volkswagen Atlas Cross Sport. Oh my goodness. Yeah, there's another one. <laughs> that what? Is, that is extremely accurate. Uh, <laughs> until then, uh, thank you for listening, everybody. See ya. Didn't I say this is the last EV you should consider? Yeah, but I'm, I'm surprised it's even on the chart at all. Like, I'm, I'm surprised it's this isn't like, the car that converts like, you away from EVs. <laughs> <laughs> you get to this one and you're not, like, it's, not, it's done. It's like, uh, it's like uh, you know, when you go to um, a steakhouse and you can have like uh, 16 ounce steak and you know, I'm like, I'll have the three ounce uh, tenderloin, please. Yeah, That's yeah. Or you is. get the steak tips. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and somehow they're the same price. That happened to me recently. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>